It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Welcome to to you too. Oh, thank you, honey. Yeah. I was just passing through, so I thought... I thought you were going to say I was just passing gas. No, I don't. Uh, Okay. Well, I don't know. You know, it's you. It is me. I don't know with you. You You never know what you're going to get. You do know with me, though. That is true. Okay. Oh, just throw it all in. Why I, don't you throw uh, in the burps uh, and the farts and the chickens and the uh, screaming I go- don't and do the screaming that. goats and the and the sex and the kissing. Okay, let's get it all out now, so we don't have to deal with it later. All right, we're done. Thank you. We're done being um, ten years old. You, I, I don't know about that, but you know, this is Robbie's favorite part of the show. China. Okay. So- <laughs> Uh, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, no, I didn't. You know no, why? You didn't. No, no, this is going to be one of my favorite shows. You know I'm why? kind of addicted to these sound effects. You are. That's what we're going to talk about addiction. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Oh, oh. yeah. Well, I love addiction. I mean, right? I don't love it, but I love the subject of it. You know why? No. Because it, it confounds me. It, uh. it, 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 the challenge of dating and uh, sobriety, it just, I want to know more. So addiction is only about sobriety? Well, how do you do it? How do you date an addict? Oh. How do you date a substance abuser? How do you date if you are an addict? Mm-hmm. How do you date someone who's sober? You don't. How, no. <laughs> right? I don't know. Doesn't it confound you? Hopefully we'll never find that out. No. Well, no. Because <laughs> you and I. Yeah. Because we're uh, fellow. Well, you, you, you yeah. know. Why You're not? I know well, that. <clears throat> you always remind people uh, of that. I, uh, I am a drunken lush. Well, it takes. But I'm controlled. It takes two to be one. <laughs> I'm a moderate lush. You are. Nip it in the bud. That's one of the questions I have for our guest today. Okay. Amongst many. Well, we I mean, this is this topic is just so, uh, it's heavy. It's, it is heavy. It really is heavy. And it's so, who so, hasn't had some, I mean, not everybody's had it touch their lives, but I mean, I've, I've dated people who were substance abusers. I've had, I've had relatives. It's in my family. Mm-hmm. It's in my family as well. Right. Lost someone, a cousin. Uh, it, it, it happens. And uh, it's part of life. And we are aware of... We have friends that are in the program. And uh, we support them 100%. Yeah, but we don't, we don't date them. Have you ever dated someone who had a little problem? Uh, I think I did go out with somebody who was uh, in AA for a minute many many years ago and you know i think it was we had a date or two maybe and i don't remember much more about it did you find it 
uncomfortable? Um, I, 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 I did have to amend some of my normal ways. And, you know, I didn't have a problem with that so much as realizing that if this was going to continue, if I actually had feelings for this person, I would, it would be a long-term amendment that I don't know if I was mature enough to contend with at that time. It does cramp your style a little bit. If, if your style is not in line with theirs. Because you're, be, because you're sensitive and you're a nice person and you don't want to make the other person feel bad or uncomfortable. And so, again, this is one of the questions I have. How do you do that? How do, what if you're a drinker and the person you're dating is not? How does how does that work? How do you? You know, are, and, are are we sticking to a very narrow field here of drugs a, and alcohol? AA and okay, drugs and alcohol. Yeah, not not gambling. Uh, <laughs> uh, are we? No. Okay, so. Well, I guess you could. We could add. Could, sure, I mean, an addict's an addict. We've we've ta- tackled this subject a couple of times already. Yeah. And, you know, an addiction is an addiction, and the treatment is somewhat similar for these addictions as we've been learning. I think I'm more interested in what it's the impact on the, the person that's dating the substance abuser or the sober person. How do you, how I, I was that person. I dated an alcoholic, uh, and I dated an, a sex addict. And don't laugh. They were not the same person? No. Okay. No. And and I will say sex, sex addiction, I can't even say it. Addition? Addiction? Sex addiction, you know, ha ha, very funny. Not. No. No, it, not funny. It's a sickness. It is a pathology. It is not fun. It's not fun to deal with. Uh, it is potentially um, really destructive and dangerous and hurtful because the person can't stop and and it and it, it to me it's not about it's look addiction not I don't know anything about addiction so this is why we've got the expert coming on um or substance abuse but it's not to me it's not the sex addiction or the alcohol or the prescription drugs or whatever it's the pain and it's the 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 wound underneath that, what is underneath that? What's deeper that makes that person need to have, you know, compulsively drink or take drugs or have sex or gamble? That's really where it's at. So you're not just dating the person with a substance uh, problem. You're dating the person with something with an underlying deeper problem. Well, you're dating those addictions. Those are part of what you are involved with you you can't yes. help if you love this person i think one of the questions that we ask ourselves about people that we know that may have these issues is does the person that is in love with the person with the problem okay I'm yeah no this. i'm with you no no i i need to rephrase my Sounds like a country western song. You know, uh, does the love? Do you love the person with the person with the? No, uh, it's (laughs) uh, 
I know I'm going to have to edit this part out. But we thought that, you know, I think the both people have to be on the same page if one person is in the program and the other person is not. And the person that's not in the program has to ask themselves, is my addiction more important than my love for the person that I love who's in the program? Or, conversely, is my love for this, for the addict, is my love for myself more than my love and potential, um, you know, pain and suffering that will incur as a result of dating the person with the addiction or substance problem? These are Does that the make questions. sense? This is what we're we're going to address today. And it, and it really is a conundrum. It is because I think that as we address our audience of people that may be single and older, they need to throw a wider net out to find someone. And that person may have had substance abuses so may have been a substance abuser in the past mm -hmm. and are in the program now mm -hmm. and they are clean, mm -hmm. they're sober and they're looking to be involved again and mm -hmm. be loved and give love. And how are people to deal with? How these do you deal people? with that? How do you, how do you keep your, uh, you know, an open mind? Cause when you date, you just said it, when you date someone with either, you know, current, issues or past issues that you're dating their addiction you're dating the person who brings that with them into the relationship now i say it all the time especially when you hit you know midlife i mean geez everyone's got flaws everyone i mean but you know and no one's perfect but right. some people are more i guess imperfect than others so you go what if you meet someone who and they tell you Okay, just heads up, just so that you know, I really, I had a drinking problem, or I had a sex addiction problem, or a gambling problem, or, you know, just so that you know that, what you're kind of getting into, which I think is great, because it's full disclosure, but what about the person that is falling for him or her, and they have to weigh the sides and say, well, I really dig this person, but uh, I don't know, this is sort of, this is a lot of baggage, can I handle it? Am I up for it? Do I want it? Do I want to take it on? Is it worth the trouble? Is it worth the effort? Is it is loving this person the best thing for me? Is it healthy? Is it healthy? Right. Am I here to help this person? Am I trying to solve their problems? Are their problems their problems going to continue even though I'm involved with them? There's a lot going on here. Questions for the ages. Questions I asked myself because I dated all kinds. And and those were some of them. And it was tough because I, I'm, you know, I am a drunken lush, but I'm really moderate. <laughs> and I don't have a problem and I don't have an addictive personality and I can handle shit. So, um, like I said, it was like you when you agree to date someone who has those kind of issues, that's what you're signing up for. And we are I need a drink. <laughs> 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 Just talking it's, about it's, this. It's, it's, uh, it's 12 noon, but you know, it's 
five o'clock somewhere. somewhere. Who are we bringing on today? We're bringing on Dr. Bob Navarra. Dr. Robert Navarra, but we call him Bob. <laughs> Is, hi guys. Hi. hi. Is an L is an L L M F T M A C and a notorious R B G. No, just kidding. Uh, is a certified Gottman therapist and master trainer specializing in a relational approach to addiction recovery. Based on his research of over fifteen years, he created Roadmap for the Journey: A Path for Couple Recovery, a two-day research-based workshop designed for couples in early and long-term addiction recovery. Roadmap for the Journey provides tools and strategies for to integrate recovery in couple and family life. Dr. Navarra also specializes in marathon couples therapy, providing 15 to 10 to 15 hours of therapy to couples in weekend sessions. Most recently, Dr. Navarra authored Systemic Addiction Retreatment, Treatment in Couple and Family Therapy and co-authored three articles with Dr. John Gottman on Gottman therapy, Method Therapy. Oh, honey, could you read this any worse? Okay, can I, let me take that part over. Most recently... Most recently, Dr. Navarra authored Systemic Addiction Treatment in Couple and Family Therapy and co-authored three articles with Dr. John Gottman on Gottman Method Therapy for the Encyclopedia of Couple and Family Therapy. Dr. Bob, welcome to Dundee Single. Wow, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you yes. for showing up in our studio. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the lovely things of Skype that Skype will do. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dr. Bob, for being here. And, you bet. Uh, so you heard our first segment. and I did. There's a lot to tackle here, obviously. And, you know, we feel that there's such value in addressing uh, addictions, people with them, people who love people with them. And we, we are looking for input from you, of course. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have a ton of questions to ask, but the first one, let's just kind of get it out of the way. How do you know when you have a substance problem? How do you know? Okay. Well, you know, in your introductory segment, you basically covered the whole gamut from active addiction. Uh, well, let's, that's the whole gamut would actually start with problematic substance use without it actually being uh, qualifying as a substance use disorder into a substance use disorder where there's identifiable symptoms, which I'll talk about in a sec, all the way up into a bona fide addiction and I differentiate between a substance use disorder and addiction. I think they're different. Uh, so that's what the research indicates. Then you were talking about couples and relationships where people are in recovery. So that's a, yet a different dynamic. So each little segment has a different way to conceptualize what's going on and therefore a different way to conceptualize the best way to approach it. So your question is how do you know if there's a substance problem? So let's just start with that and not, I don't wanna put everything into how do you know if you have an addiction? I think it's more useful to start with the question, how do you know if there's a problem? Because mm -hmm. you could have most people, actually the research on this is kind of interesting, most people that have a substance problem are not addicted mm -hmm. and may not even meet the criteria for a substance use disorder, which is really specific. So that's 90% of people with a substance issue probably are not addicted or something close to that, I would say. Where it starts becoming problematic is when there starts to be negative impact in the person's, obviously, in their, in their life, in their relationships. And it's starting to create what we call a, like a central, it becomes an organizing thing for the person. So they begin to organize their activities, their thoughts, their life around this substance or this behavior. 
like sex addiction. You're referring to that, Trevor. So there's compulsive behaviors that can become dysregulated and problematic. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when things start to revolve around your next drink or shopping excursion or food or something, when you know you're thinking about it too much, would you say that is like a sign, a red flag? Well, it's the beginning of one, I suppose. You know, there's a combination of things to kind of become aware of. And one is starting with sort of this concept of, you know, there's there's a genetic piece to this that's really well established. So we know that this genetic predisposition places people at greater risk. And there might be, so if it's in the history, family history, so there might be events in a person's life in which there's a lot of stress. So there's increased drinking or increased use of cannabis or something that might be temporary and situational. But if there's a family history that that risk profile goes up a bit, so more needs to be kind of assessed. Um, when it really starts affecting relationships is something to really pay attention to. So if there's concern that a partner has, for instance, it's really important that partners can say, you know, I'm noticing this uh, increase in the amount of alcohol that seems to be in our relationship, and I'd like to talk about it. Okay. That's yeah. so mature. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I, I don't know how realistic that is, but I, I love that, you know, if you are in a relationship and your partner does say, you know, I, I think there's something that we should talk about. Uh, you may be met with opposition, you yeah. may be met with defensiveness, yeah. and it's going to take a big person to admit, I think maybe you're right, I, I do feel I, do have, I'm, I don't have a handle on this. Okay. Well, you know, there's another way to do that, though, Robbie, because I mean, what, how does this feel like? I think you drink too much, statement one. Statement two is, I've noticed that there seems to be more alcohol happening at night in our drinking or in how much you're drinking. And I'm uncomfortable with that. And I just want to talk about it. I, I like that. I think that is loving, caring. Yeah. Right. You're describing yourself and not your partner. And, and anytime you want to raise a conflict issue, that is a better way to go about it regardless. Still difficult though. Cause you know, truth hurts. Well, but even yes. So However, <laughs> uh, the truth is this is I'm expressing my feelings. And so I've noticed that partners are, you know, when they hear the pain in their partner, they're saying, like, you're uncomfortable with this. So, I mean, I could be defensive. So, yeah. Or I can say, well, if this is upsetting to you, I like, I don't want that. So what are you upset about? What's going on? I mean, that's what we would hope for. There's no guarantees, of course. And another sign would be when your partner says, do you really need to put Bailey's on your cornflakes in the morning? Is that would be another thing to pay attention to. <laughs> I like the sweet flavor. That's funny. Was, that would be sweet. I, I was asking him whether he had concerns about his drinking once, and he goes, no, not especially. Try to cut down, no. Um, do you ever start the day with alcohol? And he goes, uh, oh, yeah, I start with a six-pack because I don't like coffee. <laughs> I thought, well, okay, that's something for us to talk about. <laughs> wow. Not Bailey's, but, you he, know, close. He, he didn't volunteer that information. You had to pull it out of him. Well, he wasn't defensive, though. It was just kind of like asking this conversational right. thing. It's like, you know, do you start the day with? He goes, oh, yeah, sure. That's you know, funny. So, okay. Interesting. Well, we um, we have an evening ritual. We, have, we like to have our cocktail hour at night. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we're not, you know, we don't overindulge, but we enjoy it. And oh, it's a do. bit of, a, you know, a ritual and kind of something we looked forward to. But... 
we know our limits. Yeah, we we're not we don't go overboard. But we, we look forward to it. We look forward to we it. Do. I'm looking forward to it right now. But is that, is that bad? <laughs> Especially after this. Yeah, it's only, only it's only noon. But no, we do look forward to it. But we also know that you know we have one, maybe two, and if that's that's it, and boy, we're you know. All right. So now what we're if, in bed by ten. What if I did not share that? What if I was sober? How would you? How do you do that? You're talking to yes, me. Yes, I'm talking. Looking, I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. Yeah. What if you were sober? So what if you didn't drink? Yeah. And, and I did. Yeah. And you. Is that is was, that would it be okay for me to drink? Well, I think the question is for for Dr. Bob. Is it incumbent upon me, the sober person, to to be stronger, the stronger person, or is it incumbent about Ro- to Robbie wait, wait, uh, upon me, Robbie to be sensitive? Let me ask you a question. Are you sensing that I have a problem? Are you having a problem with my drinking? Whatever that is, one or two drinks, is that something that would be a problem for you not drinking? And if I was, I guess, long enough in the program, or if I had been working the steps long enough, I could say, no problem. Go, drink, enjoy yourself. Is this, is this a scenario that's realistic, Dr. Bob? Oh, well, we might be talking, might be talking apples and oranges here, mm-hmm. because most people who drink don't have a problem with it. And then there's situational problematic drinking, and then there's an actual substance use disorder, and then there's addiction. So if you're talking about somebody in recovery from an addiction and their partner continues to use, that may or may not be problematic depending on how long they've been in recovery and the nature of triggers for that person. So if both partners are saying, you know, it's really interesting actually because both partners could actually be over drinking and it wouldn't show up as a marital issue, a problem. There's research on this stuff. So they might be drinking too much sort of relative to what we know as safe levels versus not so safe. But if they're both drinking at that level, high levels, then it doesn't register as a problem. For example, right. I had a couple where they were having these fights, and I would say, well, is alcohol ever involved with this? And they go, huh. Come, as we think about it, every time we have these big fights, it seems to be after happy hour, which doesn't end up so happy. Right. So I go, do you think there's a relationship between your alcohol use and your fighting? And they go, they looked at each other and said, never, never occurred to us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there, it could be playing a role that partners may not really see at the time, on the one hand. On the other hand, there could be this idea of, um, you know, it works for us ritualistically in a way that helps us feel connected. No one's drinking too much, so it's not a problem. One person says, well, I don't want to drink for a while, you know, I want to, for whatever reason. Uh, that probably would not be problematic in a couple relationship like that. So it really kind of depends on where people are falling on the continuum from non-problematic to problematic to um, an actual addiction. Dr. Bob, my question is, we just talked about two people that are already in a marriage or a relationship, but let's talk about dating because that's what this show is about is when you encounter somebody that might be in the program and you are not, how does that work? And what is the best way to make that work or to realize that it's not going to work? I love this question, Robbie. I think this is a great question. So how long they've been in the program is important. And it, um, I think it, it's important actually for partners who are in a relationship or thinking about being in a relationship with somebody who is in a recovery program of some sort to say, it's important for me to understand your program, how it works for you, and what you need 
from me if we're in a relationship together to support you in the program, but at the same time, I need to know if I'm going to be comfortable with that. So you're starting with kind of this ground rule of, you know, let's make this an important part of our relationship as a conversation piece if we're thinking about going forward at this point, because it's an important part of your life. So are you comfortable talking about it? And can we talk about it? And I think that that's a subject that probably would not get brought up on a first, second, or even a third date. Oh, I, I, yes, it does. No, I don't. I think it's very intimate and mm. personal. And I think that you don't have the right when you are dating somebody on a first date to address that type of thing without it becoming a thing. And if it's a thing, then there probably isn't going to be another date following this. That's that's my point, is that you need to get to know the person regardless of the addiction. I don't think the addictions are going to come out, hopefully, in the first date. I mean, it, it's not... You, huh? No, no, I'm, you, I'm listening to you. I, 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 just... I don't... I, I think that you you really need to feel the other person out. you yes. got to connect. You have to say, I like this person. Uh would you like a drink? No, I, I, I don't drink. Oh, it's okay. But go ahead. Feel free. And and that's a comfortability thing. And then uh, you get through that date. You yes. have a second date. I don't think you're discussing well each person's addictions or... Probably you shouldn't. ...issues at this point. <clears throat> but I think that... I think just by saying, if you're on a first date and, and you decline a drink and you say, no, I don't drink, I mean... There you go. That's your entree into having, you know, another question, follow-up question. Oh, are you in the program? Or, And then from what I know, I think that uh, people in recovery, God bless them, are extremely forthcoming and honest. And the ones I know really lay it out there on the first, second date uh, Okay, let's fast. get Dr. Bob's opinion here because I... I think they feel about... like they better do it sooner than later and that by not talking about it, it's like a, that's a huge chunk of who they are. And... I think that will cast a pal over the whole date at that moment. And Well, it begs the question, like, okay, you don't want to drink? Let's... Now, well, why don't you want to drink? And then, okay, go ahead, Dr. Bob. Wow. You know, I think what this points to, because the wow is I think you're hitting on something really important, and that is the stigma that's attached with both addiction and recovery. Now, what's interesting to me is that the words that we use and the language to portray these concepts are starting, I think it needs to change. For example, if I'm writing an abstract for a conference or an article or something, there are really strict guidelines typically to say, avoid the word substance abuser, addict, alcoholic. Instead, use words like a person with a substance use disorder or a person with an alcohol use disorder. And so I think part of it is understanding the identity that people have in recovery also is moving from I'm a person with a history of addiction, but there we're starting to use new language that says I'm a person in recovery. So I'm a recovering person rather than my name is John, I'm an addict. It's starting to move in that direction. And so if there's this understanding, it's like, okay, so I had this problem with this alcohol or this substance. Um, really, it's due to changes in my brain that took place, and I'm now in recovery from that disease. And I identify now as somebody in recovery. That's starting to catch hold. Does it? So if this conversation starts in the first state. Um, it's going to depend on a lot of variables. <laughs> so if the person with the substance use disorder and now in recovery senses that discomfort, they probably want to know that sooner than later, I would think, um, unless they're willing to have a conversation to say, well, let me tell you what that means. 
So I could see this unfolding in one or two dates if people are interested in meeting. And that could be quite okay and probably less anxiety-provoking for the person in recovery as well. It's really, I think, uh, could be a, a determining point if it's discussed too early, if it's brought up too early, that you can't help but think, if I am the person that is in recovery, do I want my date here to know that soon? It, it, it's probably for the best that I, she does know it sooner than later, but is it something that I want to dominate the first date with? Because I think that you can't help but have it be the dominant discussion topic right. at that point, well, even if it's not discussed, but it's brought up. There mm-hmm. are, I mean, you can add that to the list of many topics you don't that are not first date suitable yeah, appropriate like exes. yeah uh name it i mean we all mother-in-law <laughs> uh, kids yeah i mean the, you, you know, know it's I don't it's know. easy to as you said dr bob to stigmatize you know people's stuff but it's life and we talked about this on a show a while ago about drama and people who include no drama please on their dating profiles well that's mm. like saying i don't want to deal with your blank blank you know I'm your looking baggage for somebody just came your... out from under a rock right uh, who is mm. that They're, they don't exist so i don't know i think that there is there is pacing and timing to to stuff to personal information that you ultimately disclose and robbie you're you're correct and i have a follow-up question to what robbie just said okay um about ad, uh, people in reco- should people in recovery date people in recovery? Is it is it just kind of easier that way or not really? Mm. Yes and no. How's that for an answer? Sounds like a typical psychologist Perfect. type of response. It could be it could be uh, helpful to the degree that they can actually integrate recovery into the relationship because there's a fundamental understanding. Typically, it's like there's a culture of recovery that is understandable, right? So there's that. Um, and there's also woundedness that kind of accompanies it, people into recovery. So there's that vulnerability. And it'd be a shared, kind of a shared vulnerability, I suppose. What I really advocate for is those conversations say, let's bring into our conversation my recovery, your recovery, and our recovery. That's what I really want to advocate for. Now, if somebody's in a relationship with somebody else who's in recovery from an addictive disorder of some kind, and they're not, I still advocate even more so to have conversations about help me understand what this is. And so to talk about it and to inform, like, what what is a sponsor? What happens in a meeting? And if it's non-12-step and things like smart recovery or life ring or other options to the 12-step programs... If it's an important part of somebody's life, at some point, it's important for both partners to be able to talk about it. And so I'm really, that's what I advocate for. And believe it or not, that's controversial in the field, mm-hmm. which is hard for me to understand. It kind of makes sense, though, although it, it, there are pros and cons, I'm sure, to people, fellow recovery people dating each other. But how do you avoid it? You know, how do you not date someone in your meeting? Well, I, I know it's true. probably frowned upon, yeah. but it, I'm sure it happens a lot. I don't know that there's an official position about is it should you date somebody in the program. Mm-hmm. The the general thing, because it happens, right? But the general thing is like the first year of recovery, it's really a bad idea to start a new relationship. 
beyond that first year, you're going to meet people that you relate to in these meetings. So it happens. You know, I had a couple, for instance, where they met in recovery at a meeting, just like you're talking about. And there were three and five years of continuous recovery when we did therapy. And I said, so what is it that you're wanting to talk about? And they said, well, we didn't deal with addiction in our relationship, but we don't know what intimacy is. So we don't know how to have a relationship. So there isn't the trauma right now that uh, has been created by an addictive disorder, problems with a substance or behavior. It's just like, how do we do intimacy? What's that even look like? And so that was, that was our work. And they were dating. And that was really helpful to kind of look at what goes into a healthy relationship and where the boundaries need to be to help facilitate that. Well, it, it sure makes sense when two people that are in a program meet because there's they're both vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expressing their vulnerabilities. And they can share a lot of what it is that they are both experiencing. And so there's a simpatico and a... And they, you can't help but be somewhat attracted and uh, sympathetic to what it is that they're going through, and talk to them and say, "I feel you. I, I understand." You know, and that's, I think that's probably important to the beginning germination of a relationship that begins, and then they both go home to their spouses that are not as sympathetic or empathetic, and. They live with them, though, and they're involved with them. And so is this where the the divide starts? I, yeah, it sure does. See, I consider this like, so in addiction, when addiction is active in a relationship, it's this Claudia Black, uh, famous therapist person from the 80s, um, talked about this injunction, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. So things go underground. And unfortunately, I think that treatment programs are reinforcing don't talk about recovery. So when you have partners, people in a relationship, the person with the addiction is not encouraged to actually talk about their recovery with their partner, which makes zero sense to me. So in my workshops with couples, I actually have conversation starters in these card decks. Here's what I want you to know about my recovery. That's card deck one. Card deck two is, here's what I want to understand. And there's just a ton of questions that help people to deepen their understanding about what the heck is going on to help them connect. This is great. Yeah, we're getting some stuff done here. I I know this is going to be so wonderful for people. Because, I I mean, I know that I struggled. And so it's good to have this information. Mm -hmm. You ask good questions, Lovey. I, you do. You ask it. Yeah, because you, you you make me you inspire me to think there's other questions I have. You bring well, up good stuff. Oh, um, thank you, honey. Yeah, this question is for Dr. Bob. It was inspired by your last question. So here's the scenario: you are in love with uh, someone in the program or someone in recovery. How do you stop yourself from becoming codependent with that person? Oh. Yeah. So let's break that down into what codependent is. That's a term I'm not especially fond of, even though it's really popular and a lot of people uh, think it's helpful. And and if it is, that's good. Here's what I think is different between what is considered codependent and there's different definitions of what that is, but it breaks down into, you know, enabling typically. These are the kinds of associations with codependent behavior, not having boundaries, trying to take control where control is really impossible, inability to express one's own needs and feelings, and kind of getting wrapped up and absorbed in this other person's life and inability to manage life. So (laughs) 
What I want to do is define specifically what people mean by codependent and unhealthy behavior. So there's that. So we want to stay out of that box. One of my interventions in the workshop is to differentiate codependency from interdependency. So here's the option of codependency. Interdependency is defined as the ability to trust in a relationship that you can actually share your thoughts, your feelings, and your needs. And if I can trust my partner that I can actually do that, then I can express things like, uh, so you're telling me you want to cut down your meetings from three meetings a week to once a week. I have to let you know I'm feeling uncomfortable with that, but it's up to you. So you can actually share your thoughts and your feelings and your reactions. You know, I prefer you not do that, but it's up to you. It's not control. It's not codependency. And you have to kind of look at the alternatives to say, so if I don't express what I'm thinking and feeling and preferring and it goes underground, that's kind of what I did when addiction was alive and well. So I don't want to replicate that behavior. My partner may say, um, well, no, I actually am quite comfortable. I spoke with my sponsor and da, 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 or whatever. You go, okay, but at least the conversation's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. Can I express my thoughts, my feelings, and my preferences? That's interdependency, and that's good. That's a healthy thing in all relationships. Good that's point. what I would start Very good with. Point. So if you are the partner of somebody who's in the program, give us some recommendations for that person in terms of do they go to an Al-Anon meeting? Are they, you know, should they go to the AA meetings with their partner? Is everything different? Well, it's sort of the standard recommendation is to be at least familiar with 12 steps. So Al-Anon may be an option a person would consider. 12-step programs are not for everyone, so not everyone would feel that's a good recommendation, but it's one that's typically put out there. Um, I think the idea of asking questions is really important. Help me understand what you're comfortable sharing about. And that kind of gets back to the card deck question. So I've actually, these card decks are, uh, well, these card decks you can actually buy. (laughs) So this is like a promotion, but the concept is you can develop your curiosity about the person's recovery so that you can understand and be a part of that person's world in a way that can be supportive without being codependent. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the point is, is to have conversations that help deepen that understanding as long as, and then within the boundaries, it's like the person may say, well, I'll tell you about the meeting to the degree that I'm comfortable maintaining confidentiality, all that kind of stuff and on minity rather. But you could say something like, you know, that's kind of, that's all I want to say about it. I'd like to stop here so that there's boundaries that can come in place with how comfortable the person is with the level of disclosure, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. That's a good plan. Yeah. I I have a follow-up, but... Okay. Well, go ahead, because I have have something, another question. Okay, my my follow-up would be, at what point is it advisable for the partner of the person in the program to realize it's not good for me anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't think I can stay with this person who's in the program because either it's not working, the program's not working, or it's it's not good for my health. Yeah, right. So when do you throw in the towel? And are you a bad person if you do? Hmm. Oh my. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons not to stay in a relationship. Which, if person in recovery doesn't mean that they're doing things well in the relationship. So, yeah, there'd be a lot of reasons not to stay in a relationship. 
to the degree that recovery might be the factor, um, that tends to be the case oftentimes when people first enter recovery. So what's not known really much is what's called the trauma of recovery. So imagine you're in a relationship with someone and they've got an addictive something. Then they get into recovery and say, hey, I'm working on it, I'm going to meetings. And if you're in a committed relationship, what it typically feels like to the person, the partner of that addicted person, is kind of feels the same because you're still not present, you're still going to meetings, you're still not available in the ways that I really want. And so that transition from active addiction to active recovery is really traumatic and it tends to be that way for most couples for the first year. So you're moving into a whole new aspect of relational functioning as well, without trying to sound like a therapist type, it's this idea of, wow, we're doing things really differently and, and I don't, I'm uncomfortable with all these changes. So that might be a time where a person says, I'm not on board with this anymore. Um, so that could be problematic. Beyond that first year of recovery though, it tends to be more established. People that have at least a year of continuous sobriety, there's a higher rate of staying sober than not staying sober. Prior to that first year of recovery, more people relapse than don't. You get to one year of recovery, and now you're going to get on the other side of that, and 60-plus percent stay sober. When you get up to three and five years of recovery, five years is considered the durable point of recovery, which means that person probably will stay sober the rest of their lives. 86% of people who have five years of continuous sobriety stay sober and won't relapse. Wow, that's great. Okay, yeah. A qu- on to your point, uh, so here's another scenario. You're a single woman. Uh, let's just say you're in your 50s. Uh, you've been around a little bit. You're divorced. I mean, it's not like you were born yesterday. You meet someone who is in recovery, uh, maybe for many, many years, uh, tells you everything, and your eyes, you go in, uh, eyes wide open, and is there anything wrong with that? I mean, I would assume that there is some, maybe some reticence, but how would you advise that person? Go in, keep an open mind, be on alert, protect yourself. I mean, what what do you say? Somebody has years of recovery and if they're really working the program, that person's probably got really good, I, I'm assuming, I, it's just dangerous, but it's likely that that person may have really good relational skills because it has to do with honesty and integrity of here's my story and here's what's going on. I'm so used to telling all the horror stories that it's not, there's a level of disclosure that people with long-term recovery tend to have that most might not be able to do without, you know, the kind of experience that people in long-term recovery have. So I think once again, there's this idea of just being open to what hearing the story is Mm -hmm. and understanding it, asking questions. And here's the thing that almost nobody in recovery uh, in a 12 step program has heard of, which I ask this all the time in workshops I do. Um, but there's a program called recovering couples anonymous RCA. And (laughs) it's interesting. I had a, uh, I teach addiction treatment class at Santa Clara university. So we get panels of people that come in with that are in 12 step programs and every single time for the last six years, I've been teaching this class. We have these panels come in. I ask, has anybody heard of, um, recovering couples anonymous? And I've had couples who are both partners who are both in recovery, who may or may not be married, but they're in a relationship, um, never hear about it. And I just want to let people know, uh, they're hard to find, but there's also online versions of recovering couples anonymous. And the notion is the relationship is, is the 
area of interest. So mm-hmm. it's not about substances. It's about our relationship. And there's some good skill sets that uh, I just want your listeners to know about that they could learn possibly by you know going on a website and finding yeah. out like, well, what is this? It's a great opportunity for you to tell us about the website. Yeah, go ahead. Give us the link and how people can find you. <laughs> I don't know the link. I think it's... Um, Recovering Couples Anonymous. So I'd, I imagine it's rca.org or Recovering oh, okay. Couples Anonymous. Okay. And where, yeah, can you, where can people find you? Okay. Where they can find me is I basically have two websites. I have drrobertnavara.com. And that's a sort of a generic, I talk about addiction there, but I have a blog on that website. And uh, that's with the Gottman frame, all the researchy stuff that can be really, really helpful suggestions for all couples. So there's that and resources just for relationships. And then my specific website for addiction and recovery is um, couplerecovery.org. Okay, great. Do we have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. I want to circle back to um, family of origin. Yeah. And the genetic component. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious. I do have uh, some substance abuse abuse in my family, and you said that there is a likelihood of it being hereditary, maybe. And I think about that a lot. I but I also can tell you that I, because of that, because it was so distressful, distressing to me seeing it. Um, I feel like I've gone the other way. That in some way it is I've. I'm so afraid of being out of control that I've sort of gone, I've developed, you know, things having to do with control issues because I'm so afraid of what substance, how, how out of control substance can make people. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Oh yeah. I don't know if that's a statement or a question. Well, I can respond to it. Um, One would be that the genetic predisposition simply means like any other physical vulnerability to diabetes or any other medical disorder doesn't mean you're going to get it because there's family history. So there's an interaction between your genetic, the gene expression and your, and life environmental factors that increase or decrease the likelihood of this thing actually happening. So when you're careful and you're noticing this is where I don't want to go. So I want to make sure I'm going to moderate my drinking. And for women, the recommendation is no more than seven drinks in one week. Uh, And Uh there's, a unit of drink (laughs) that would equal like an ounce and a half of distilled spirits equals 12 ounces of beer typically equals five ounces of wine typically somewhere in that range. So no more than seven a week for man, it's no more than 14. Totally unfair, but the physiologic ability to process alcohol is, is what is at the base of that. So when you're, you're aware of the, the risk, then you go, okay, so I need to be careful and stay within the certain framework of, safe drinking. And if it starts to escalate, um, and I'm drinking more and needing more for the same effect, I'm wanting to cut down. And I'm not able to do it. Uh, it's starting to organize my life more and it's starting to create problems, but I'm going to continue even though I don't know why. So when that starts to happen, then you pay attention. It doesn't mean you're addicted. It just means it's something to pay attention to. Right. You don't, it doesn't mean you're going to be a legacy to it. That's right. Okay. That's exactly right. It's that, increased risk. That's all. So you're right. just monitoring that. Right, it's good right. to know when you have an increased risk to anything. Sure. That is good to know. Okay. I'm glad to know that it's uh, you're under way under the limit. 
on your alcohol consumption. That's buddy. very good. So oh my god! I can there's take a deep breath. I can I can drink more. All right, excellent. Thank you for that, uh, Doctor Navarro. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful hour, and uh, we look forward to being back in touch with you. You have a very soothing way about you, which is so lovely to hear, and I think that it's comfortable and yeah. And, I think people can get a lot out of it. I have gotten a lot out of it, and I think it calls for a part two at some point because this is, like I said at the beginning, it, it is confounding and loaded. No, <laughs> no, pun, ju- intended. no, no pun intended. <laughs> right. But it is, and people need yeah. help with it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share some of these things, and uh, we'll be glad to come back. It would be my pleasure. Great. Our pleasure, too. Thank you Thank so, you so much. much. And uh, right. we are done being single, and we will be back again next oh, week. Oh, and please great... follow us at Done Being Single, and subscribe. Go ahead, Lovey, no, tell them it. where to find us. DoneBeingSingle.com. You can write us at Treva and Robbie at DoneBeingSingle.com, and we will address all emails and questions. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Love you, honey. Now. Love you, baby. All right. Okay, cheers. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> All I'll right, drink. it's recoveringcouples.org. Okay. <laughs> oh, just look great. Thank I'll drink that. to that. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends, Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.